Hey guys, it's Brooklyn. Um, sorry for the cold open, but I just wanted to let you guys know that we had some audio issues on my end recording this episode, so the quality of this audio is not where I would like it to be, but we really did say some great things in this episode, and I want you guys to hear that and experience that. Um, I apologize for the quality of it, but hopefully you can still enjoy our words and we are working on a solution to make sure that it doesn't happen again. Thank you and enjoy the show. Star Wars Story Podcast, a podcast honoring the stories of Star Wars, the characters within them, and the people who love them. Today, we will be discussing Rogue One, the characters, and their stories that collectively shattered all of our hearts into a million little pieces. I am your host, Brooklyn, and I'm joined by your other host, Delaney. Hey guys, what's up? And today, we are going to be talking about Rogue One, and... Like, the, I feel like we've talked about eventually getting to Rogue One in, like, every single one of our episodes so far, because I don't know about you, but, like, I love Rogue One on, like, uh, and we will get to why, but, like, it is on a whole nother level. Like, it has such a place in my heart, and I can talk about it forever, and I've been so excited to be able to do a full episode that, like... Oh, I'm so ready to just absolutely, like, dive into this movie with you. Yeah, this, this movie, well, obviously, this is, this is the first movie that we got out of the standalones, so, um, this really, for me at least, before it came out, even though I knew what the premise was, and I was interested, I think I still had a little bit of hesitancy just because I was like, well, this isn't an episode and we've never had a movie like this before. And I just don't really know what to expect. And so honestly, even though knowing it's Star Wars, I kind of went in with pretty neutral expectations just because I was like, well, it's all new characters, all new plot, you know, and I just want, you know, I don't want to like go in super hyped and then leave like, oh, this wasn't as good as I thought it was going to be or whatever. Because ultimately, that's kind of how what happened to me with Solo. So I was like, I even though this came out before then, I was just like, I just want to enjoy it for what it is. And I ended up loving it. And I think that a lot of people can say that. But I ended up going in, being pretty neutral, and just being like glued to the screen the entire time the movie was on. And just like so like so immediately attached to these characters. Because when you have like the episodic movies. Like, we're currently getting, we're going to be getting our ninth movie, and this is nine movies with the same family 
so to speak, like the same lineage and the same. So you've gotten to and really like storyline essentially. Like it's yeah. all like they're all their individual movies, but like they're all like one coherent thing, following like characters who are in like it is. It's the Skywalker saga for a reason. Yeah, and so you know, obviously, it's really easy to be attached to those characters because we have seen them time and time and time again. And with this movie, I was like, I'm just worried that I'm not going to be attached to these characters because we're just getting introduced to them and then they're going to be gone because this is not a movie that's going to get a sequel. And so, but I was so surprised with how quickly I was able to be completely engrossed in the story and how fast, you know, I just fell in love with all of these characters, like head over heel, head over heels in love with like all these people in the movie. And it made the ending that much more depressing <laughs> because you end up losing all of these characters and I don't know, you're, you only are with them with a br- for a brief amount of time and yet it's so magical, the time that you get to spend with them. And this, yeah, this movie is gorgeous, it's beautiful um, and it'll definitely break your heart, but it's worth it. And yeah, yeah I, I think that's, that's like almost like one of like the beauties of Rogue One is that like, it really does rely. It's like it's so driven and informed by its characters' pasts, but it really does stand alone, like better than any other Star Wars movie. And like, I mean, that was the point. Like, it's supposed to be a standalone movie. It's supposed to be able to stand on its own two legs. But like, it really does. Like, it doesn't mean that, like, the characters aren't, like, well-developed, or we don't get, like, a full picture of, like, what their story is and where they're coming from and, like, why they're making the choices that they do. It just, it does such a good job of giving these characters life and giving them this depth that, and they have such, like, a limited amount of time. And they it just, it is pulled off, like, so brilliantly being able to balance the like we're we're getting i have to get you you know get you to know these characters get you to be attached to these characters and then like never have them again and never like you mean you're gonna watch them spoiler alert die by the end of the movie like and it's just so like I think it, there's there's it's so point like there's so much depth there that I think is just so good with the writing. Oh yeah, absolutely. No, this is an amazing movie, and I mean, even just like on its own. I mean, I know that it's obviously objectively intertwined with Star Wars itself, but even objectively, just as a movie, as a work of film and as a work of art, it is amazing and. I just hope that everyone who was involved with this movie is proud of the work that they did because it's so, so good. Um, But yeah, I guess let's just jump into the conversation about Rogue One. Um, Like all of our other, well, I guess like all of our other movie recaps, with the exception of Solo, this is going to be just like a plot, like analysis as to like the points that were most memorable to us. So we're not going to cover every little detail, but we are going to go over the things that stood out most to us after watching this movie. So we are going to do that. And hopefully you enjoy, 
Hopefully, hopefully you're able to take something new away or at least just feel affirmed in your feelings for Rogue One because that's always nice too. Um, but yeah, this... Yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, no, go ahead, go ahead, for real. Okay, um, I just, I mean, we start off with, you know, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, and then it doesn't have a scroll, which is, like, so weird. It was, like, I remember seeing it in the theater for the first time, and, like, not having a scroll pop up, like, was so off-putting. And, like, I knew that it was gonna come, I knew that it, that was gonna happen, but it was still, like, when a Star Wars movie started without that, I was like, what is happening? I don't know what's going on. Now I love it, but I remember the first time watching it just being like, I, I'm confused. What's happening right now? <laughs> but, for, like, this movie is the has the most, like, beautiful cinematography of any Star Wars movie. Like, I just, just, I love it so much. And I think that they, they do... It does a really, really good job of so many, like, establishing shots for, like, planets and for, like, places you're going to be. And all of them are just so beautifully done. Like, I'm going to cry just looking at, like, the shots of cinematography. Like, it's uh, it's so good. But we start the movie and we get Director Koenig with full cape, full, like... He's so extra with, like, a full legion of, like, black troopers. And I'm just like, you don't need this. Like, you are just flexing for no one. Like, what are you doing? But I love Credit. He's just, I love my little petty bitch. Like, we just love him. And, like, the first, like, when Galen is trying to, like, try to talk his way out of it, you know? And it's just like... I can't come help you, like, I have essentially dementia, I have, like, you know, well, Lyra died, like, well, sorry, dude, and then, like, when Lyra comes back, like, Craig's little, like, oh, look, here's Lyra, back from the dead, it's a miracle, like, just that deadpan delivery, like, Ben Mendelsohn is just, like, a gift to humanity, like, honestly, he is so good. And yeah. just plays, like, he plays the villain so well, but, like, with that extra, like, little bit of, like, pettiness that just, like, gives it that dimension and gives it that, like, hilarity. And I'm just like, I just love you. You're so great. <laughs> yeah, that, the line, like, oh, here's Lyra back from the dead. It's a miracle. That line, like, took me out when I heard it the first time. I was like, oh, my God. Because it was so, like, <laughs> it was just so, like, dry. But, like, that was, like, the point, obviously. That's the delivery. And, yeah, it was, like, just amazing. And, yeah, this I think this was the first time that I'd ever seen uh, like, I think that, I mean, I might be wrong, but this is the first time I remember being introduced to Ben Mendelsohn as an actor. Yeah, and, this is the first time I've seen him in. Yeah, and so I, yeah, I think this is the first time I'd ever seen him on screen. And I immediately was just like, who is this person? Because I just, like, obviously, you know, he does play a villain, but he's one of those people that plays his character so well that you just can't help but love him in a weird way just because you love like you know that he's just so talented and you just like cannot tear your eyes away from the screen whenever he's 
on screen. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, he he is incredible in this movie and he's definitely one of the standouts and I'm so glad that he got cast as Krennic because I honestly can't even I can't imagine anyone else playing that role. Oh yeah. He's just he's so good at it. Yeah. Oh, he's so great. Um Then was we, and just, oh, little baby Jen, like, in that, like, dark hole, all by herself, and she's just, like, waiting, and waiting, and, like, ugh, my heart, like, it just makes me so sad. I just, I, I feel so much for, like, all of these characters who just don't, like, they just go through so much, and I want to protect all of them. Yeah, please just let me shield, let me be the shield in front of them. Right? Like, please <laughs> let me, I will, I will, I will do all the bad things for them so that they don't have to do anything bad ever in their entire life. Literally, truly. <laughs> oh, goodness. But, once we meet, I think, the, the next character that we meet, you know, now that we are in, like, actual time you know we we, we we see we see grown-up jan like wake up but like once we like meet our next character is cassian andor yes. and honestly like his introduction scene like is one of like the best mm-hmm. in all of star wars it's like one scene to introduce a character like cassian's is just so good like he's Cassian's the good guy. Like he's he's our rebel. He's our connection to the rebellion. He's like our hero that we're supposed to be. Like you know, we look at him. We're like, oh, rebellion equals good guy. And you know, he is like he's gonna be like our swashbuckling hero. You know, yeah. And we immediately see him. You know, shoot shoot two troopers, which like. Rebels do that all the time. It's fine, you know? Like, it's a stormtrooper. They're bad. He can shoot them. And then... Immediately... Shoots his informant. Because his informant won't be able to... Escape the situation. And if he's caught, his informant will tell. And so he just straight up shoots him. Yeah. And, like, you see that on his face. And, like... This is also, like... I think the best acted Star Wars. Like, Star Wars tends to be, like, so campy, and which, like, which is why we love it. But, like, Rogue One just has such a depth and, like, brings such complexity to these ideas that are so Star Wars. And, like, it's just, it's so well acted. And, like, you can see that, like, in Diego Luna's performance, like, in that first Cassian scene alone, where he just, you know, is putting the pressure on his informant, and then he, you see, like, the regret that he has. Like, he didn't like want to kill this guy but it was like a it was an impossible decision and maybe you know a quote-unquote better hero or like a gooder hero wouldn't have wouldn't have done that but like that's the part of what rogue one does is it shows you like this side of the rebellion that the original trilogy doesn't really show us you know Mm -hmm. and it shows us, you know, when we think of the rebellion, we think of, you know, it's the good guys, and, you know, they are just, you know, going, like, they're gonna go and fight the Empire, go fight win, like, they're the good guys, they're the ones in white, they're the ones who are, you know, 
ready to, you know, fight the good fight. And Rogue One really shows us, like, getting to that point isn't free. And getting, like, getting to the point where Luke can destroy the Death Star, getting to the point where, you know, we can destroy, like, Death Star 2, like, getting to the original trilogy, like, there was a fight that we didn't see. And a lot of the fight that we don't see is, like, the dirtier parts of the fight. Yeah. And it is, like, and that doesn't, the beauty of it, like, it doesn't take away anything from the Rebellion. It doesn't make the Rebellion, like, this evil entity. And it's not trying to, like, it's not doing this, like, you know, there were good people on both sides argument. It's not doing the, like, well, the Empire is just as bad as the Rebellion and vice versa. Like, it is showing you that, like, there are things worth fighting for. And there are, like, principles that you are willing to go to these lengths for. And, like, those lengths might not be pretty. And they might haunt you. And they might... You know, and Cassian says that, like, way later in the movie. He's like, I've done things that I wanted to walk away from, and I was able to do them because I was fighting for something I believed in. And, like, that's the reality of this fight. And Rogue One just does such a good job portraying that from, like, the very get-go, and especially with Cassian. Like, Cassian really carries that theme through this movie of, like, this the success and the hope that we see in Luke and Leia in the rebellion comes at a cost and it's a cost that people are willing to pay. And it's a cost that people are aware of. And I think that's a big difference between like the empire and the rebellion is, you know, a lot of the stories from people in different things that involve people joining the empire. Most people join the empire in a you know out of a sense of duty they want to get off world you know like they and a very similar way to the way people like join the military you know in the u.s like a lot of those similar things and they often don't realize or recognize or often turn a blind eye to the evil that's there whereas people who are joining the rebellion they're aware that like this individual action may be morally wrong or morally hard or morally gray, but the the benefit of that steep cost is giving that little bit of hope and giving that little bit more of a flame to keep that fire burning for a little bit longer. You know, it's the next step and the next step and the next step. And it's that awareness of, like, the cost may be high, but we're aware of the cost and we're willing to give that cost in order to have hope in the galaxy and to have the rebellion thrive. Yeah. I think it's really important to recognize like that the rebellion isn't black and white. And, you know, I think it's super important too, like to say, you know, I know that this is like a really weird comparison to make, I guess maybe, but like, I know that after Last Jedi came out, you know, everyone was, like, super hyper-fixated on, like, the gray Jedi. But I think a lot of times it's a lot of things that's overlooked is, like, gray rebels and the gray parts of the rebellion where, like, it's not always... They're not always making the choices you would expect them to make, but they're doing what they have to do to get by, essentially, in the positions that they're in. Cassian's decision to kill the informant 
was one that he was like kind of you know in between a rock and a hard place so to speak and like people i think were kind of thrown by that because i think you expect to just see the rebels only doing things that are good or only doing things that you know are just and right but it's like that's not the reality and that's not you know that's not something we had seen prior to this movie but i'm really grateful that this movie showed us that yeah and i i mean i think you see that you know when later in the movie, like, when Jin comes back from Edu, and she's talking to everyone in the Rebellion, and she's saying, like, we have a plan. We have a, you know, we have a way that we can beat the Death Star. We have a way, and, like, it's a, it's, you know, it's a bold move, but if we do it, we can win. You know? And I, especially the first time you watch that movie, you go in and you think that, like, well, duh, the Rebellion's gonna go for it. A, you know that they have to get the Death Star plans at some point, and, like, it's the Rebellion. Of course they're gonna do this. And when, in reality, you get to this council, and it's a lot of dissenting opinions. It's a lot of people who, you know, are at various levels of commitment to this cause. You know, you have, like, Bill Organa and Mon Mothma, who have, were the ones who started the Rebellion you know, with Padme, as soon as they saw that, you know, the Republic was going to fall and it was going to become the Empire. Like, they have been fighting this fight from day one. And then you have, you know, other people who are more willing to say, you know, if we don't have a very clear advantage here, I'm not going to fight. And it's Jin, like, pleading with these people, saying, like, we like we need to do this. And they say no. You know, it, it's only by you know, them, the crew going rogue, which then forces the rebel fleet to join them. That's, that's the only way that the Battle of Scarab happens. It's not, it's not this grand gesture. It's not this, like, grand alliance of peoples who want to fight the Empire. Like, they didn't agree to it. They were, they were afraid, and they weren't going to do it until they were forced to. And I think, like, that's, a lot of the reality that we didn't see in the original trilogy, you know, like there is a lot more. And I think that's, that's a balance that in part was tried to achieve in the, the prequels of, you know, there is a lot of politics that goes into war. There's a lot of compromise and people disagreeing, even if they're on the same side. And so it just, I think that Rogue One did a really good job of not making this such a black and white conflict. Maybe not in the morality of it. Like, in the, in the morality, like, yes, the Empire is bad and the Rebellion is good. But in, like, the reality of the execution, like, it's a lot messier than you think. And it's a lot more of compromise, even within your own side. And it's a lot more of like trying to negotiate with people and negotiate with people that you want on your side to help you and to get them to get to that point. And it really gives the rebellion a depth and like gives it this complexity to the rebellion that we really didn't get to see oh yeah absolutely i i love that it is not it's not a linear journey and it's not like cut and dried where it's like you you're you're in the rebellion 
So you all, we all agree on this. We all agree on the execution. We all agree on how this should be executed. It's like, no, I mean, like, we all agree on what we want the outcome to be, but that doesn't mean that we all agree on how we want to execute it and how we want to do this. And that's very, very evident in this movie. I mean, you see that very clearly. And I'm really glad that we got that because there, you know, th- with with issues like this and with conflicts like this, there are go- there's going to be infighting. Like, that's just something that's going to happen to a degree, just based off of the scale of this conflict and the amount of people who are involved and the amount of people who, you know, have their own personal opinions on what they think is the best way to resolve it. And I think their ability, you know, for the most part, to come together... And to, you know, execute, you know, their solution to the best of their ability, honestly, and you see that at the end, is really, really impressive. Because there is, there is like, I wouldn't necessarily call what they're experiencing in fighting, but just a natural conflict of just, by nature of, you know, think, you know, by nature of being involved in this and by nature of thinking, you know, this is, this is what I think is right, you're going to have issues. But I think that they yes. handle it. I think they handle it really, really well, and I'm really glad that we got to see that kind of like behind the scenes look. Oh, definitely. Um. So the next character we kind of meet of this crew is Bodhi, and I love like Riz Ahmed just does such a good job with this character. Everyone does a very good job with their characters. But I think that, like, Riz Ahmed, like, he is, like, a rapper. And, like, he kind of has, like, this natural nervous energy that I think he really channeled into Bodhi that makes it work so well. Of, like, this, like, obviously he's nervous. Like, he's defecting. Like, there's all this stuff happening. And, like, he just really, like... I don't think Bodhi gets enough love. But, like, it is... Like, he really does make this really bold and brave choice to say, you know, I don't agree with what the Empire is doing and I'm willing to risk my life to fight against it. And it's such a brave move and, like, it doesn't get rewarded right away. You know, he ends up with Saw Gerrera who, you know, who knows if Galen knew how extreme he had become by that point and it just, like, essentially tortures him to figure out what he knows and, like, is trying to do his best and, like, is just getting beaten at every turn and, like, still continues after that, you know? Like, even when he gets on the, you know, once he's rescued from, um, like, Saw's place and he gets on the ship with them, like, he is still, like, yes, I'll help you, I'll fight. I will tell you how to get to Edo. I will tell you where to go. You know, I'm part of this fight, too. And I think it's just so, like, he has such a quiet strength there that you really don't see how much, like, you, I don't think you notice how difficult the decisions he's making are. And, like, he's choosing to go against everything that he's known for years, most likely his entire life, for this cause. And because he knows what he had been doing was wrong. And so, even after, you know, getting tortured by the people he is defecting to, he still is able to recognize that, like, 
I still need to be part of this fight. I still need to be helping. I still need to be doing things. And I think there's 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 a really, really great like lesson there with Bodie. I think he's just he's so great. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely love his character. Um I love Riz Ahmed and I love Bodie. And I mean like separately but also together, I think that's yeah. notably I think it's notable enough to mention, but I, again, this is another character that I really cannot see anybody else filling the shoes. Like I, you know, like with Krennic and I think like, and I feel like that's going to be me saying that about every character, but I really feel that with this character, you know, he's so chaotic when we first meet him and he continues Mm -hmm. to be chaotic. And I feel like that's part of the reason I like him so much is because I too am very chaotic, but I like that he, his energy of, you know, like, this is what, you know, I was a part of this, but, you know, I, I have this information and I want to use it for good. And you, you, that, you gonna, you gotta respect that, like, because it's not easy to turn on something that you've probably known for a really long time, even if you've been forced into it, like we see with Finn, like, I mean, like, he's been a, like that's right. His, that's been his entire life. But even so, even if it is your whole life, you know, there's still people who are like, "Are we doing the right thing? Is this the right thing?" And I'm really glad that we get Bodhi as a part of the Rogue One team because I think that he just adds so much depth. And I just love I love his perspective that he brings because all of these people are yeah. from different life experiences. They're all coming from different backgrounds, and I love getting to see his. Yes. Yeah, I think it's so great. I also love, like, as we, you know, go from there, we see, um, we see Jin or so, you know, get captured by the Rebellion and taken to Yavin 4, which they make Yavin 4, like, feel so, like, it is so familiar, but it's also, like, we know where they are as soon as you show up, but it, like, it just feels so, like, new and like you can really t- I mean hi it's a movie in 1977 versus when this movie came out like 2016 like obviously the production value has gone up somewhat but like it just feels so visceral of like oh this is what it was really like on this base you know not just the little snippets we got to see and with that they did a lot of recasting of these kind of like background one line rebellion members that were uh, obviously couldn't be played by the original characters anymore because a it takes time at the same place as a movie that came out 40 years ago and you know yeah you just can't do that but the recasting like is so on point like the Mon Mothma recasting is like so good like it does not feel at all like it's a different character like it just feels so natural like it's so good and it really helps you feel like you are right there in that like in the rebellion like it it wasn't like it feels like they didn't do any extra manufacturing to like take you back in time like this is just what time it is and it's so good yeah i think with talking about original characters that come into this scene 
is we have to talk about the moment when Bail Organa comes into the shot. The, first of all, the music like quiets down and it just starts playing like the force theme. And then you see like Jimmy Smith as Bail Organa walk out of the shadow and into the light. And like, oh my goodness. <laughs> oh my goodness. It's it's just, it's so perfect. Well, it's so good. And to even to add on to that, you know, I love the recasting. And I mean, this may be an unpopular opinion, but I also love the CG characters we get. And I love how they blended those two together to make this movie. You know, we have, yeah. we have notably, notably two very prominent CG characters. We have Tarkin and we have Leia who are completely like digitally rendered essentially. And then we do have characters who are recast. And I think that that combination, I feel like if you were to just describe that, I feel like just talking about it, it doesn't seem like it would work, but it works so well. Like they execute it yeah. so well. And I- They really do. Yeah. And it's so good. And to me, you know, it, to me, it doesn't, and this might this is my own opinion, but it does not take me out of the movie at all. And I know that maybe for some people it does, and that's totally valid. But for me, I feel like I can switch between those characters who are in person and have been recast and those digitally rendered characters, and it does not take me out of the movie. And for me, that is, like, amazing. I'm, like, that is just such... That is, like, a testament to, like, how well they made this movie. And yeah, I... I'm so, so, so impressed by that. Continually impressed by that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it is. It is. It's, it's so good. And. I think that just, like. Yeah. You, you, just, you just feel so, like, in that moment. And you see, like. You see, like, what the rebellion was like, you know, not when, you know, Luke and Leia swoop in and have the Death Star plans and they're ready to go and blow up. Like, this is what it was like day to day. Like, this is what it was like trying to win this war one step at a time. And it's so good. I also, like, I have to say, I always forget. That, like, we're getting a Cassian series. I think because, like, it's only been like, announced, like, it really hasn't even started filming yet, like, none of the stuff has happened, we just know that it is happening, and, like, oh, I get so excited, like, there's so much potential there, like, to see this, you know, like, we're talking about, like, how this scene, like, how these early scenes of, like, those day-to-day battles with the rebellion are what is so cool, like, we're just gonna get a series of that, and we're gonna get Diego Luna to come back, and, um, K2 will be back, too, and so it's just, like, Oh, I'm so excited to just get to delve into this period of time, like, even more. Oh my gosh, it's gonna be so powerful, I can't wait. <laughs> I'm so excited. It's... I'm so excited. Also, just, like, the dynamic between, like, Diego Luna and Alan Tudyk, like, so much of, like, their, like, back and forth in this movie is 
improvised by the two of them and like they've both said like how much fun they have together and like how great their relationship is with each other and i'm just like i'm so excited for more of that honestly god bless like it's so so exciting um but yeah no i'm i'm super excited for that and that was honestly that came out of totally like left field for me i mean i think like maybe i'm not the only one who feels like that but when they announced that that was not something where like, I feel like some of the things they announce, it's, like, we know it's going to come. It just, like, hasn't been officially announced yet, so you're waiting for that official announcement. But when they announced that, I was, like, I wasn't expecting this at all, and yet now I, like, cannot wait to have it. Like, I... Yeah. I need it right now. Like, I like I just found out about this today, and yet it feels like I've lived my entire life waiting for this. So... I'm very excited for when that comes out, when they roll out Disney Plus finally. Yeah. Oh, I'm so excited. I know, like, it's not... I know Mandalorian's gonna drop, like, when... Uh, what's it called? Um, Disney Plus? Oh, like, you just said it. <laughs> when Disney Plus L-O-L. drops, but, um, Cassian won't, because it obviously hasn't happened yet, but... Oh no, I'm yeah, I'm so excited that we get to explore like a big reason why this movie is so compelling for me. Like we get to just explore that further. And I'm just oh, very excited. Yeah. You did a good you did you made the, made a good call there, Star Wars. Yeah, thank you. Thank Way you. to go. I'm very, very proud. Very appreciative. Now just make sure that you have you know, characters of color, and, you know, if you wanted to add a queer person, you know, I don't think we'd be mad, and, you know, lots of people behind the scenes that are, you know, not straight white men, that'd be great. Also, Lucasfilm, not queer-coded, queer. No, 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 no. (laughs) We're not talking queer-coding. We want queer, (laughs) okay? Queer. So, just so we're, just so we're clear on this, okay? Like, queer. Just so we're clear. And, like, it's not hard. It's really not. I really promise you, it's, like, actually so easy. It's Like, it may actually be easier than trying to come up with a new way to spin a straight white man. Like, it's not hard. And, like, not only even, th- I mean, like, that, like, absolutely 100% that, but also just, like, it's not, how hard is it to just create a queer character and then just to know that so many people will feel represented on screen? Like, Right? I just don't know her. That's another thing with this movie. Like, obviously, Lucasfilm has a ways to go when it comes to, like, LGBTQ plus representation, i.e. they haven't even gotten to the start line yet. But that is, like, if you look at the crew of Rogue One, the only white man that is there is a robot. And you have, you know, a Latino. You have... Um, Riz Ahmed, who's South Asian, you have, you know, two uh, East Asians, like, and then the only, like, white person that you actually see is a woman, and it's, like, it is so good, and, like, when I was watching it today, I was, the scene where Cassian and Bodhi are, like, going off to go look at, um... Like, go observe Galen, you know, and when Cassian's really going to, you know, be a sniper. But I was just like, that is something that has never happened, like, doesn't happen in a Star Wars. And honestly, doesn't happen in a lot of media that we see. Like, you have two, like, 
men of color who are going and are, you know, just going and, like, not doing anything that is specific to their race. They're just going and being part of this rebellion. And it's not something that we get shown by media a lot. And, like, it's definitely, like, a bit of a hats off to Rogue One. Like, they do the best job of actually showing up with representation in this movie. Oh, absolutely. No, I don't... I definitely don't want to paint Lucasfilm as a company that is, like, severely, severely lacking in rep because they have done a lot regarding representation. But I think that, you know, men just kind of, like, one-off mentioning Holdo sexuality in Leia Princess of Alderaan is a start, I guess? But, like... But, like, also, there's a lot of people who only get their content from movies. So... You know, i.e., a majority of Star Wars. Yeah, like a huge, like a bunch of. So if you're not, if you're not putting, honestly, like if you're not putting it there, like I don't see that you're actually committed to this. Yeah, like that's what it tells me. You know, like I think that I mean, just look at you know, Comic Con was last weekend, and that and Marvel announced, which Marvel's production rate is a whole nother beast in regards to Star Wars. And I in no way want the same, like, speed and volume of production as we are getting from Marvel, from Star Wars, in the slightest. However, like, they announced, you know, female directors, you know, they have, like, an Asian man directing the um, Shang-Li movie, or Shang-Chi movie. Um, You have, you know multiple, like, people of color who were cast, you know? They have a hero who is originally a white male who's now being played by a black deaf actress who's going to be the first, like, deaf superhero, which I have to say, I saw her, I saw Lauren Ridloff on Broadway in Children of a Lesser God, which is, like, a play about a deaf woman, and she was just absolutely amazing. So, like, I'm so excited to see what she does. But... Um, like you, like the represent, and like Kevin Feige said, like Valkyrie is going to be, you know, our first LGBTQ superhero that we're going to like very explicitly announce and have that be a part of the movie. And like these steps, like it's, you can't say like, can't use the excuse of like, oh, it's like it's not family friendly or it's not like it people aren't ready for that or like too many people will get offended like you like that's not a you shouldn't want the people who are going to be offended by that as your fans and like it's 2019 like we're past that point like you have to step up and you have to see like Ob- like obviously we have a long way to go in Hollywood in general in terms of volume of representation and like the quality of representation but like we are making a lot of progress and for Star Wars to not have any of that mm-hmm. and to not be making any visible like and I don't think you can compare like Marvel to comics in the same way that you can compare Star Wars to its comics and books. Like, it's a very different relationship because there is a lot of, you know, 
LGBTQ, like, a lot more representation in Marvel comics that doesn't, a lot more than there are in Star Wars comics, but it is, like, ultimately, like, Marvel comics operate on a very different, like, on a very much more distant level from Star Wars than the comics of the comics of Marvel are much more distant than the comics of Star Wars are from each other. Oh, yeah. Um, and it, so I don't think you can make the same comparison of, like, you're doing it in your comics, so don't, so why aren't you doing it in your movies? Because, A, they are now, you know, as far as we can see. And, like, the relationship is a bit different. But, like, it, like, yes, I'm glad, like, I love reading those little tiny things in books, but again, I shouldn't have to love reading a tiny line in a book that one character, like, identifies closer to, like, by or pan than straight, you know? Like, it, there should be so much more than that. And if you, A, you're only giving us really tiny tidbits in, um, in comics and books, and not showing it in your, t- in your, you know, anything that you're producing... Like, what, what's the point? Like, you're not committed to this. Yeah, no. Which I will say, Star Wars is much more closed-lipped about the content of the visual media that they produce. So, I would not be surprised if Star Wars were to include an LGBTQ character in something like The Rise of Skywalker or The Mandalorian and not say anything until it dropped. Like, I would... I would I would think that that will be the path that they go when they eventually include that. So I would love if this gets proven wrong and there is some kind of character that is going to be in some of the media that is going to be coming out soon that is very openly and explicitly, not queer-coded, very explicitly queer that would be amazing, and I would love that, and, like, please, Star Wars, prove me wrong. I will pay you all the money. Please prove me wrong. But, like, you got you got to do better. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, again, and, like, it's not hard, and I, you know, people need the representation. It's so important to people, and it's just something that is so easy, and it will mean so much, and... It just, it just needs to happen already. It's, it's well beyond the time that it should have happened. But, you know, I'll still be grateful when and hopefully if it ever happens. I mean, I just, better late than never. Yeah, I'm like, I shouldn't have to say if because it needs to happen. But also, like, I just, I shouldn't have to beg you at this point. But you know, anytime you want to show up, it'd be great. Yeah, exactly. No, I completely agree. Um. Also, this is. I mean, I know that obviously Star Wars is an entity that is something that is extremely quotable in a lot of regards, but I'm, this is arguably, this movie gave us arguably one of the most memorable lines I think we've ever gotten in a Star Wars movie. Um, and that is the, the one that we get about hope and rebellions and the fact that rebellions are built on hope. And I'm honestly eternally grateful that we get, like, I'm, I'm so glad that we get, like, the lines we get from Jin, because Jin is just so, like, 
she's so hardened, but she all you can tell that she also she wants things to work and she wants things to like she wants to prevail and she wants to win, but she's also just very I think she's gotten to the point where she is a little bit small. And I Yeah, and I think I think that she's very like aware of the reality of oh, it. Oh yeah. Absolutely. You know, and she's very she's very like you know, I don't I don't see the point in fighting. Yeah. Because fighting has only brought me hurt and abandonment. And like there like there is not a point and I don't see how you can win. Yeah. So what's the point? Yeah. We get we get rebellions are built on hope and we also get this is a rebellion, isn't it? I rebel. And just so much just like yeah, I've been here since, like, essentially since day one, at least day one for her, like, obviously. But, yeah, she's been in this for a hot minute. I mean, maybe not actively like Cassian, but she's been embroiled in this just by nature of her situation and by nature of who she's associated with as her family. And, yeah, I think it's really, I, I really like that we get those lines from her because I think it really illuminates a lot more of her character's perspective. Yeah, and I think that, you know, this is one of those lines that gets it. This line, the rebellions are built on hope, and then hold those line in Last Jedi of hope is like the sun, and, and with the line that she says, like, we are, we are the spark that will light the fire. Quote. Both of those are said by, the, by people that they do not end up being attributed to a lot of the time. Yes. You know? Like, people say rebellions are built on hope is Jin's line. It's Cassian's and you know it's not Poe's it's Holdo's but the first time like in both of those scenarios you know the transition of saying it you know the quote you say say you say Cassian says it to Jin you know says it one person says it to the other and the person you know kind of scoffs at it and is like no I don't like what are you talking about and then eventually comes around to that same ideal and in this the first when Cassian tells her you know she's like you're gonna go off of hope like are you kidding me like that's all you've got and he says rebellions are built on hope and you know Jen when we see her as an adult like she has been surviving on her own based on what she knows like she has to go off of like the like only concrete thing she can and to rely on something as fleeting as hope is something that for her is not a concept she understands anymore. But in in these desperate times, like sometimes hope is all you have to go on. Oh yeah. And some like that especially like when when they like it's it's very much like Jin's speech on when they're going about to land on Scarif, like, you don't have this concrete plan. You don't have this, like, clear path to victory. You just have to take it one step at a time. You just have to, you know, take one victory, and then if that works, take the next. And if that works, take the next. Until you run out or until you win. Like, that's how you have to do it. That's how the rebellion survives. And... At this point in the story, like, that is so foreign to Jin of, you know, 
counting and believing on something that may not be able to make it, may not be able to have your back in the end, but having hope that it will anyway. And that's something that Jin very much has given up on. And Cassian kind of reminds her of this principle in, you know, when they're on Jetta. And you really see, like, her, like, when she's on Jetta, you really start to see her journey begin and how she can grow as a person into who we see in the end of by the end of the movie you know we see up to up to this point she has only ever looked out for herself it's about her it's about getting through you know and we see she puts herself directly in harm's way to help you know a crying girl in the middle of this battle because she knows what it's like to be that crying girl yeah in the middle of this you know it's the first time we see her be just completely selfless and we see the beginning of this journey where she comes to remember and recognize the the cause that her parents and her foster dad gave so much for and why that was so worthy like you like we see Jin have like some very deep and merited abandonment issues you know with we see this, like, especially when she confronts Saw Guerrera. Like, you know, she's like, you dumped me. Like, I was 16, you know? And she was, like, why, why would she go back to this cause that has only ever taken people and, like, comfort and shelter away from her? You know, this fighting for the rebellion is what took her parents and what forced Saw to dump her like it saw prioritize like it was for her safety but he was prioritizing his ability to further his cause with protecting Jin, and he chose one you know and so you can see why she would be so hesitant to attach herself to something when she has these clear you know attachment issues but we see through this movie just her gradual like remembering why this is a cause worth fighting for you know and she's rec- she's like it's not a problem if you don't look up yeah she's she understand it's not that she loves the empire it's not that she agrees with it or thinks that it's moral in any way but she cannot see the benefit of what fighting against it would do for her. And she's willing to put her head down and, like, not bring upon herself more trauma to just be able to live her life. And that's, you know, where she is before she kind of remembers why this cause would be worthy in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's definitely you know one of those lines that is i mean i think that's the best description ever is that it's beautiful and it's loaded like that is that is the best description of that line because it's just her saying you know like this is an issue but you know it's only an issue if you either get involved or if it impacts you or whatever and i think to an to a degree that like really does speak to you know, issues that we have currently, you know, that we're dealing with. And, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, it kind of comes from a place of privilege to say, like, 
it's only an issue if you recognize it or if it impacts you. And it's like one of those things where it's like, I mean, yeah, I guess, but also like if you have the ability to stick up for those people, like you should, you know, like be the advocate. Yeah. So, yeah, I really, that line is very, very gorgeous and very multifaceted and I, and I love it so much. Yeah. And I think that like, that is such like a, a pillar of Jin that like, unlike a lot of our main characters who tend to be, you know, very idealistic and very like, you know, gung ho for the cause. Jin is like very acutely aware of how complicated the galaxy is in reality and what happens to the people that the politics and the war leave behind and Rogue One is all about her journey coming back from that point and learning what is still worth fighting for and learning there even is things that are still fighting for yeah absolutely and yeah it's it's so good it's so good but yeah so i think that I mean, we also have to mention being on jetta like we meet Bazin and Turret, like who are so great characters and first of all they're definitely married like i'm sorry but they are <laughs> yep. like they just are like that old married couple space husbands and that's it yeah and that's that on that yeah, like you um, be, but i do question sorry no questions at this time <laughs> they are space husbands um but their relationship is so interesting because it it reminds me very much of you know i think whenever we talk about the jedi for too long you end up t- relating it to you know organized religion in you know, in in our own world. But I think it's very similar to someone who, you know, is still very, like, participatory in their religion and someone who, you know, really deeply believes in their religion. Um, and someone who no longer like shares those beliefs even though they did at one time like I I see that you know in my own life of people who you know whereas one person might see something and say like oh like that's a miracle or like oh I prayed for that to happen and it did and you know I'm really grateful for that blessing you know another person might say like well you know that happened because of this this and this you know and it really is like a matter of perspective and like that doesn't mean that either of them are wrong you know, and like bait, like it, it's not necessarily a point of like legitimate contention in their relationship. You know, it's much more on like a teasing level. But you know, he's you know when when Chirrut says you know the force will protect me, and Bays is like I protected you, and it's just like it's so funny to me. Like I think it's such a good like illustration of someone who has kind of lost their faith but is still able to operate in a world where others have not done so and I think it's a really cool like their dynamic is just so interesting I, I really really love yeah, it yeah absolutely I, I 
like completely agree. I can't rephrase. Like I can't add anything to what you just said because I completely agree with everything you just said. <laughs> See, I just like again with the cinematography in this movie, like when Jetta exp- like when when Jetta explodes like from the Death Star, it's the way that like it's not this really big sound like we have moments of really big sound in Star Wars. You know, you have you know, hold those maneuver, you have, you know, in Attack of the Clones, you have, like, the sonic thing that happens with Obi-Wan. Um, but this is, like, so... Like, it lets... It really... The, the movie really lets the score take these moments and, like, just let that it have, like, this stillness and almost the silence of these explosions. Like, it almost honestly makes it more powerful. And, like, while we're talking about the score, like, the Rogue One score is so amazing. Like, I cannot imagine, like, having John Williams do every other Star Wars movie and then you being the person to be like, hi, I will now step into John Williams' shoes. Like... That has to be absolutely oh, terrifying. yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, oh my goodness. But, Michael Giancino, and I know that I'm saying his last name wrong, but I don't remember how to say it. Wait, how did you say it? I say Michael Giancino, and I know that it's wrong, but I can't remember how to say th- it right. I say it Giacchino. Like, but I don't think it's that. I, like, it, it's... It's not what you think it is when you Ugh. look at it. And that's why I can never remember. That's frustrating. But I'm just going to keep saying it the way I do. <laughs> and just, I know that I'm wrong. So don't at me and tell me I'm wrong. Because I know it. And we're just going to move self-aware on. self-aware is like half of like, you know. <laughs> like that's, you're already halfway. Half yeah. Anyways. But like, he's one of my favorite like modern composers like he has done like he has done up he's done the incredible he's done a lot of like the um pixar movies up incredibles he did both of like the new marvel spider-man movies so spider-man homecoming spider-man far from home he has done a lot of jj abrams other movies um he just has like such a such a range he's such a brilliant composer and I think he does such a good job like it feels like a Star Wars score like it feels so much in that same vein there is not a moment that pulls me out and I'm like this doesn't really feel like Star Wars like I don't know that I can say the same thing for Solo like I really like the Solo score but there are moments where you know it just has such a different feel that I'm like this is very very different but like, the Rogue One score, A, I can, like, turn on the score and listen to it at, like, any point, and I, like, will start crying because I know what, like, scene this is happening in. But it really does such a good job of, like, carrying both the legacy of John Williams and carrying, like, the depth and the emotion of this movie because I think it goes to a place that no other Star Wars movie does, and you have to reflect that in the score. And I think it he just does a phenomenal job. And it is so good, especially in those Oh, scenes. absolutely. Yeah, no. I Music is a character in these movies. Music is, like, a character that is at the forefront. Without the music, 
these movies are not even close to the same. Um, and it's so important to be able to have the music that we have in these movies because it creates the atmosphere. And I, yeah, I'm so grateful that we have these composers that are stepping up and that are working directly with John Williams or are, you know, taking, taking his, what he's done and reinterpreting it because ultimately, you know, and I meant, I think I mentioned this in the solo episode, but ultimately, you know, John Williams isn't going to be around forever and we're going to need other people to pick up the slack. I need you to stop telling me that. Actually. I'm okay. I need you to stop saying those words. I need to you me. to confront that. It's the second episode in a row that you have said this to me, and I don't appreciate. Okay, well, I need you to confront it because it's a cruel reality. So, um, but yeah, I, this is rude. I'm being <laughs> I'm like, I'm j- okay. When that day comes. Hopefully, you know, you'll have maybe taken some time to process. But yeah, I mean, like, it's it's one of those things where it's just, I don't know, I'm glad that we're, I'm glad that they're doing it in the way that they're doing it, where, you know, and with Solo too, like, John Williams was on that score, but, you know, it was also the other person who was doing it, forgive me, I cannot remember the name of the guy, but... Yeah, I think it's really important that we have these other people that they're incorporating them now so that we can, you know, we're familiar yeah. with these people before. And then it's not it's not like John Williams passes and then Lucasfilm is like scrambling to try and get someone, you know. Like, right. Also, with this score, like, if I'm remembering correctly, there was someone else who was supposed to score this movie. And like, it wasn't working out because this robot actually had like a lot of production issues like it went through a lot of rewrites and reshoots and it had someone else who was the composer and so not only is the score like absolutely amazing like one of my favorite star wars scores ever he did it in like a crazy short amount of time like i can't remember how short it was but like it was way shorter than you should be able to score a movie and he did it all because it was like such short time and like i'm just i am in awe yeah it's so good absolutely so so good but yeah. So I think <laughs> I'm also I just want to mention that this point yeah. that you mentioned, this is the reason that I even want to touch on this in this episode is because I feel like this might be one of the most controversial things we have ever said in one of our episodes. Um that you say that Rogue One has the best elevator scene in Star Wars. Um, I think that's going to be the most controversial thing we've said on this, on this podcast, because I, I wrote that sentence and then all of a sudden I was like, why are there so many elevator scenes and stuff? Like literally. Like I stood by my statement, but then I was like, oh my God, why are we in elevators so often? Like there's so many elevators. We have like three with Anakin and Obi-Wan, you have Luke and Vader, you have, like, Rey and Kylo, like, why are there so many elevators? But I still stand by my statement. This is the best elevator. That, you know what, because I want to present a united front, I will stand with you, but I I know that we're going to get people who are like... You can pick... You can pick the Ray and Kylo one. It's okay. I, mean, I just don't know how this one... I mean, like, it's good. I'm not gonna say it's not good, but, like, 
Oh my gosh, that is like the wild. That's like the wildest thing I think we're gonna say on this podcast. It's like here's, here's the thing with that. Skipping to the end. Oh my gosh, wait. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> the elevator scene with Jen and Cassian is just. There's so much. They don't even speak in the elevator to nope. each other. And I still think it's the best one because you have this entire movie of the journey of these two people. And like, Ray and. Nope. <laughs> Jin and Cassian, like, they need each other. And like, Neither of them get to Scarif without the other. And they 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 are helping each other grow to this point. Jin needs Cassian to show her why she should care and to open her heart even when it hurts and it puts her at risk. And Cassian needs Jin to remind him that like he is worth saving, his heart is worth fighting for, and he can listen to his heart over orders and that is why he fights and that's why he is fighting in the rebellion and they don't get neither of them get to Scarif without each other and then you have the whole culmination of Scarif of just this like one step at a time fight after fight finally getting those plans out and just you know right before they get in there like, they know they're not going to make it out. Like, there, there isn't a, like, we can get to a ship, we can do anything. Like, they, they, they know it's not happening. It, it's, it's, a res- it's not even a resignation. It's just an acceptance mm-hmm. of what that moment is. And, you know, Jin says to Cassie, like, do you think anyone's out there? And he's like, they are. Like, I, they're listening. It, you know, he can't know that for sure, but it is, you know, that faith and that hope that they have been writing on, like, someone is there. Someone is going to capitalize on this sacrifice that we are making right now, and it will make a difference for the rest of the galaxy. Yeah. Yeah. And then just getting into that scene, getting into the elevator together, and it really is so romantic, not in the sense of and I think you can read it that way, but not in the sense of like a like a sensual romance in romantic in kind of like the broad epic like gothic term of it of you know there is so much there it's an acceptance of death it's an acceptance of the sacrifice that you're making and just seeing each other in that moment in that elevator and just soaking each other up like they know that they're going to be the last people that they ever see in their entire life and they know that like they're about to die they know that they could die at any second like the blast has already gone off and just soaking each other up and like accepting all that they have done in this you know what we've seen in the movie in their entire life like just this this moment of being together you know and then that culminating of them being on the beach together and Cassian saying like 
your father would be proud of you. It's just such a perfect culmination and end. I think it is just so... There's so... Like, you don't need words in that scene. Like, you just need to see them looking at each other and holding each other as this elevator goes down. And I think it is so beautiful. And I stand by that it is the best elevator scene in Star Wars. All right. Just so you know, that was Brooklyn that said that. So, just want you... Was. I just take a different one. I just want I want everybody I'm to know. Saying. I want people to know who to direct their like at or who to direct their tweets at. So just so we're clear, um, yeah. And since we are towards the end of the movie in this discussion, I do want to mention. I mean, I know that I could honestly talk about this for probably the entire length of this entire episode. If I'm being like really honest with myself. But, again, and I think, I don't know which episode it was, or maybe it's been a few episodes that I've mentioned this, but I, I think, you know, going into this movie, I was hoping that it was going to end the way that it ended, and what I mean by that is, I mean that it was going to end at the start of a new hope like i i that's what i was really hoping i was like it would be so cool yeah i'm like i'm like i don't know if this is gonna happen or not but it would be really cool if it did and i just kind of rolled with that i was like it'd be really cool if this happened and and it did because we see you know the vader scene and that's you know all fine and dandy i mean like it's really cool but i'm not gonna like geek up on that but then we got a scene that i was not expecting at all and um and a scene that i really really needed to see like it's something that i wasn't hoping for but it's something that i end up being really appreciative for and that's the scene with leia and literally her line it's like what have they given us and all she says is hope like what what is this what have they sent us and she all she says is hope and it's short it's sweet it's digitally rendered it's gorgeous I, and I, and I know, I mean, like for me, you know, my reaction to this is largely predicated on just me loving Leia's character because I have a lot of people that I know that really honestly did not like the digitally rendered part of this and they just weren't a huge fan. And honestly, that's okay. Like everybody has their own opinions and that's fine. I, yeah, I definitely think the Leia works better at least for yeah. me than t- the target. yeah and and honestly like people everybody's opinions on this on the digitally rendered characters is valid i just know that for me i really loved it and i am very very happy that they included that in this movie I, it's part of the reason that this movie is so emotional for me to watch and i don't know i mean like i still watch it but it is part of the reason that it is so emotional and I'm very grateful for their choice to include that in this movie. Oh, yeah. And I think that it was, you know, because we, I mean, we already talked about how well the recast of characters is, characters like Mon Mothma. And I think it's a really interesting choice to not recast Tarkin, to do the digital rendering of Tarkin. And I think that, We've seen a lot of progress in that, 
like, specific area of CGI, especially after Rogue One came out. Like, it's a little bit different, but, like, even, like, the de-aging of, like, Samuel Jackson and, like, Captain Marvel and stuff, like, that's the same vein of stuff, and that looks, you know, better than it does in Rogue One. And I think that part of the problem with reanimating Tarkin is that, which I understand why you do it, because I think that Mon Mothma and some of the other Rebellion, like, there were more background characters, and so you can more easily replace them and make it seem more natural. Whereas, like, Tarkin is very specifically, you know, his actor. And I think that, you know, you have Peter Cushing as just so iconic in his, like, in his look that you kind of have to have him there. But obviously, you know... He has been dead for some time, you know, since the 90s. But I think part of the problem with reanimating Tarkin is, like, Peter Cushing's, like, reputation in Hollywood was that he was able to play these, like, inhuman characters that... Like, like almost being inanimate, and you're animating someone who is being famous for being inanimate. And so I think that that's where some of the stiffness come from. But honestly, like, it really does look, like, pretty darn good. Yeah. You know, for not having the guy there, like, it's pretty good. Oh, yeah. And so... Yeah, am, animating Tarkin into the movie was a choice. And I think, honestly, I think it, it could have been, it isn't perfect, but I think it is very good. Oh, yeah. And I think that, you know, it was a big swing, and I think that they pretty much nailed it. I completely agree. 100%. Yeah. And we we have to talk about Bail Organa again, because... I mean, this is the Rogue One episode. Bail Like... Yes. Has to talk about Bill Organa again. Because he's there again, first of all. And we just... Bill Organa in this movie just gets me, like, every single freaking time, man. I just... I love him so much, just as a character. And we get to see him, you know, in this era. Like, we're seeing him essentially in the hours before he dies. Which, I can't think about that too much or else I'll start crying. But, we see how key his role is in the Rebellion and its formation. And we see, like, his relationship with his daughter. And, like, the impact that he had on this entire galaxy. Like, the moves that he is making in Rogue One, like, from, like, you can see, they're like, these are the kind of moves he's been making since day one. You can see that, like, that is where his daughter has learned it from. That's where Leia is understanding how to run the Rebellion when he is gone. It is... And you can see, like, how what he's doing has a ripple effect on the entire galaxy. And I just love him. I love that Jimmy Smith, like, came back for this. I don't remember... Did we know he was coming back? Like, prior to this movie coming out? Yes, like, was it, like, part of the release of, like, 
Also, Jimmy Smith is in the cast, and Bailey Donna is going to be back. Or was it, like, a surprise? Because, like, I wasn't super... I didn't stay super on top of, like, news like that before Rogue One. So, like, I don't I know. I honestly don't know either, because I wasn't keeping on top of it like I am now when this movie was coming out. Well, it was a surprise to me <laughs> when I saw it the first time. So, I'm going to pretend like everyone was that surprised. <laughs> but, no, I just... I love it. I love, like, he is only in this movie, like, I mean, it has to be, like, a, a, like a, maybe two minutes of screen time total in this movie, but still, every second he's on screen, like, my heart just melts, like, I just feel so much. So yeah. good. So, so good. Something we haven't talked about up to this point that we would be remiss to not mention is that among the characters who come back is none other than our dramatic son, Anakin Skywalker himself, Darth Vader. Oh my god. Is back in this movie. And like, this movie, you can see the Anakin and Vader. Oh yeah. So much. So much. Yeah. This, this one, it's very interesting. Like, when this moment happened in this movie, it was immediately like, oh my god, it's Vader. But then honestly, for me, like, when Leia came on, like, that just trumped everything that just happened. So, I know that's not everybody's experience, but, like, that just immediately took over my brain. And I was like, that was the only thing I could remember. Um, But yeah, it's, like, pretty wild that we got that in this movie. Yeah, and I think that, like, I think that they do a really, really good job of balancing Vader in this movie, because the thing is, is, like, once Vader is on screen, like, that's kind of all you care about. Yeah. So you can't really, like, you spend so much time with Krennic before you see him in that scene with Vader, and that's the only way that, like, you care about what's happening to him in that scene is because yep. of that. And, like, it uses Vader very sparingly, but very well. And I think that, you know, first of all, his, like, don't choke on your aspirations. I'm just like, you dramatic boy. <laughs> like, I love you. What are you doing? But, like, and I know that some people, which I was surprised to learn this because I loved it, but some people don't like Vader's scene at the end of the movie. And I think it's because they kind of wanted the movie to end when Jetta explode or when uh, Scarif explodes. Because I mean, if it if it ends there, you can infer what happens from there. Like, you know what's going to happen. But I think that, like, the decision to continue the story past the death of that crew is such a brilliant move because you we don't have to see that. But we get to see exactly whose hands the plan got into. We get to see that Leia scene, and we get to see the beginnings of what their sacrifice 
reaps and the hope that it gives to the galaxy and why it was all worth it. And we get this dope Vader scene, which, like, hi. Because here's the thing. Is it like, we see Anakin Skywalker in the prequels, and he is, like, such a good, like, lightsaber fighter. Like, he's so, so good. But, like, A, the original trilogy came first, and the lightsabers that they were using, like, did not lend themselves to very, like... I mean, obviously in A New Hope, like, you, they're barely touching each other when they're fighting with a lightsaber. And it definitely does get better, you know, the Vader fights between Luke and Obi-Wan. But the fights that we see are very much, like, the lightsaber's there for a little bit, and then they spend a lot of time without it, because they couldn't really fight that hard with them. But in this scene, you get to see, like, that is the Anakin that won every battle he was in in the Clone Wars, like, and that is why. Like, yeah, he's not using it for a good reason now, but, like, that is why. Because he is, like, like, he's so good with the lightsaber. And then using the Force and putting those two together, like, in a fight and being physical yeah. about it. And, like, oh, it's so good. And, like, the lighting, the, the, like, it's dark, and it just keeps getting illuminated by the lightsaber. Like, come on. Like, that is the coolest thing. How do you not like that scene? <laughs> It's so good. It's so good. Yeah, I, I agree. I love completely. it. It's so, so good. Man, this like is like a breath of fresh air compared to talking about Solo, honestly. <laughs> like, and this is yeah. very much needed after that episode. Yeah. Yes. But yeah. Do you have any last things you want to say about Rogue One? I'll have like my clone statement on the and all of my feelings but do you have any last things you want to um, say honestly I just want to say that I love this movie and I love everybody involved in this movie and I'm really grateful that we got this I'm really grateful I'm I'm just I'm just so excited that that this is like a thing that we have like it's just the best and I I don't know. It just it's just it feels so good to reflect on this as something that we like like we're like, "Oh, this is a thing that exists. Like this is a real movie that we actually got." Like it's kind of crazy. Yeah. Um but yeah, no, I I I love this movie and I'm so excited to get to dive back into this when we get the Cassian series. Yeah. I just if you cannot tell, I really love this movie. <laughs> and I think that... I honestly... I love this movie a little bit more every single time that I watch it. I think that... This movie does such a good job of showing you... The internal struggles of the Rebellion. That... Action taken before the Death Star were, you know, rogue decisions made by a few. Like, there wasn't this cohesive unit. And that this was, this movie, these people were the catalyst for the rebellion to be what we know it as. I think that this movie, it sits with its dialogue in a way that no other Star Wars movie does. It it's, has scenes like you know, Galen's death, where the emotion, the, the emotion is just so palpable and so real, or even scenes, like, 
after after Galen's death, you know, and when they're on just the barge talking to each other, and Cassie, you know, the like, I was in this fight since I was six years old, and all of that conflict there, like, there's no score there. It's just the dialogue and the acting. And that's not something every Star Wars can pull off, and not every Star Wars does. And I think it, it, it deals with this depth of the reality of what happens when humanity fights a war. How do we deal with pain that we have, and what do we do with it? You know, does do we? Is it like Cassian, where it motivates us, or is it? Are we like Jin, and Jin, you know, becomes numb because of that pain and just cuts herself off? I think that you see in this movie how visceral the effect of hope can be, and how every moment of hope can help. You know, seeing those few reinforcements that got through the shield to go help the ground fighters are the momentum that they need to push through. And hope has this cascading effect that carries the the rebellion to all of its successes. And every moment of that hope counts. And I think that, like, this, this this movie almost shouldn't work. Like, this plan shouldn't work. But... It's the right people in the right place at the right time who are willing to take the next chance and the next to get the greater whole closer to victory and closer to this sacrifice and this, this like, absolute just you know, the choices that people have to make to get you there. And you see how much has to go right to even give the Rebellion a chance. Like, this movie rides on the skin of its teeth and narrow chances, and it shows you that Rebellions are built on hope, but they're also built on luck and grit and a willingness to make that sacrifice. And... Rogue One isn't always my favorite Star Wars movie. I've changed my mind about what is my favorite Star Wars a lot. But it's, like, always in my top three. And I honestly think it is, the for me, Rogue One represents the best of Star mm-hmm. Wars. I think that it captures the essence of what Star Wars is. Better than any other movie. And I I just... I love it more every single time that I watch it. And I think that... I... Could talk about this movie until I can't talk anymore. Which I think we have seen today. But... I really... Love this movie so deeply. And it has such a place in my heart. And I think that... It is... Like, my go-to movie whenever, like, I have my own stuff going on. And it gives me this, like, safe place to process those feelings. And it makes me feel better every time. I don't know what that says about me as a person, but I feel better after watching Rogue One. But I do. And I, I love all of Star Wars, obviously. But the way that I think about Rogue One and the way that it has just, like, 
honestly made its way into my soul is unlike any other piece of Star Wars. And I can talk forever about it. And I'm so glad we finally got to this yes. episode. So I ha- I could talk forever about yeah, it. No, this was very much needed. This was the much need- needed post-solo episode cleanse. So very yeah. excited about this. <laughs> um, but yeah, thank you for listening to this. I hope you guys enjoyed this um, this episode of us recapping our favorite parts of Rogue One. Um, if you aren't aware, we have a Patreon. And that is, I'm pretty sure it's just a Star Wars story podcast on Patreon. But we do have five patrons that we would like to thank. And those people are Carla, Greg, Kayla, Meg, and Nick. So again, thank you so much for supporting us and for listening. It means the world. Um, And it's just so sweet. And I continue to try to wrap my head around it, but I can't. So, um, but it's really nice and I'm very appreciative. Um, Go find us on, on Twitter. Um, Our podcast Twitter is at ASWS underscore podcast. I, my personal Twitter is at Delaney Organa, spelled D-E-L-A-N-I-E, if you're wondering. And then Organa, spelled Organa, obviously, that's pretty self-explanatory. And where can people find you, Brooklyn? (laughs) Um, You can find me on Twitter at at Brooklyn Bound. It's, and the O's are zeros, so B-R-0-0-K-L-Y-N-B-0-U-N-D. Yeah. Yeah, I I don't think I've ever like spelled it out, but I guess that there are multiple spellings of Delaney, so probably better late than never. But yeah, if you were wondering how to spell my name, that's oh, how. Oh. So I love how we're like this far yeah, in, and yeah. I'm just like, oh, by the way. <laughs> um, but yeah, again, thank you for listening to this episode. Even if you're not a patron of ours, just listening to us, following us on Twitter, following us on our personals, interacting with us. That's just more support than we could ever begin to fathom at least for me and I just love having this platform to be able to interact with all of you guys it's really really cool and um it's really really also just a little just a little tease um we have a really fun episode coming up um with one of our friends and it's a slight departure from what we've been doing just just by nature of it being more fan focused rather than more like canon focused. Um, but yeah, yeah, we have a really fun episode coming up. So go follow us on Twitter and stay tuned for that because it's going to be really, really fun. And I'm really excited. Um, yeah. It's gonna be <laughs> yeah I'm really, it'll be the first time we've had a guest, which is going to be so cool. And I literally cannot wait to, to do that. Um but yeah, again, for the millionth time, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. And um, I hope that you guys continue to enjoy the content we put out because we really, really like providing it. And we really like, you know, having these conversations with you guys via podcast and via Twitter. And like always, Brooklyn, what do we say at the end of our podcast episodes? May the force be with you. May the force be with you. May the force be with you.